Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Mike Wood. Mike, we are hitting in the final stretch yeah, of our howdy. exclusive coverage here at Work Human 19. <laughs> it's been a fun day so far. It's I been think fantastic. our next guest is going to be a lot of fun, too. It's going to be fantastic. We are talking to Joe Whittinghill. He's the Corporate Vice President of Talent, Learning, and Insights for Microsoft. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. It's good to be here. So I want to get started with kind of talking about what, you know, you're one of the creators of Microsoft's leadership principles. Like, Can you share what those are and how they're aligned with neuroscience? Because we all love neuroscience here. (laughs) Sure. Happy to. So as part of our work of transforming the company, we decided we should take a fresh look at what leaders at the company needed to do. And we ended up creating three leadership principles because we wanted a very simple and memorable model. And those three things are we ask leaders to create clarity, to generate energy, and deliver success. And we used a lot of neuroscience to come up with those. They're very memorable, as I said. They're clear. And it's not everything leaders need to do. It's the most important things leaders need to do to help drive the company forward. All right, we could talk for five hours on these three simple <laughs> principles. Uh, so I'm going to just dive in and start doing it. So most people listening may say, well, duh, we're supposed to deliver success. Yes, why did you have to put that down on paper? Giving proper guidance to leaders and being very clear about it is key. And so you can also get into a situation where people are very busy and confusing activity with results. Um, and we wanted to be crisp on, in the end, you do have to do things like there's, there's three practices underneath each principle, by the way. So under deliver success, an example is build innovation that people love. And each one of those words is critically important because it's innovation that people love versus the innovation that maybe our engineers would want to build because they think it's cool. So it's this guidance. And then part of this model is it says find a way, but it's finding the right way, not just any way to get something done. It's the right way. And all of this too, remember, has to translate globally because we operate in 192 countries. Wow. Let's tackle that a little bit of the global challenge to instituting a policy, whatever, in Seattle. How do you roll that out across the world with different cultures and different people? It's a great question. We talk about our zip code at the headquarters is 98052. And we talk about the 98052 bubble and making sure that what is good over there in Redmond is actually going to work in all of these different countries. And so the power of the cloud is that you can replicate very quickly, almost instantaneously, information. But you do have, with these multinational companies, adjust to local labor law, to regulations, to their cultures, and then making sure the words that we're using translate. And so whether it's our products or whether it's a new policy or a new performance management system, the change management involved is always fairly involved to make sure we get it right. So you mentioned performance management. And I think when we think of big companies, Microsoft is right up there. It's one of the biggest. So what is your approach to performance management at Microsoft and any lessons you've learned along the way of such a massive workforce? Well, and the question is right on topic because four years ago, we eliminated ratings. I'm clapping. People can't see it, but I'm clapping. And (laughs) and there were some who believed that the sky would indeed fall. 
and that you know there would be people lounging on couches and not doing anything. And in fact, it was quite the opposite, is that by not having people being so worried about what grade they were going to get, it really unleashed a whole lot more productivity in the system that we ever thought we would see. And we get ratings of 85 to 90% of people saying we like the performance management system and it's super clear how our rewards then are allocated. So it's worked out really well. And again, that's all based on the neuroscience of performance and reward. I'm still thinking about the three principles and I'm thinking about clarity. We all know that. You can go to Amazon and type in, give me books on clarity and there's thousands of titles. We have motivational posters about it. We all talk about it. It's in the plan and we put it on the shelf but we still stink at it. Talk about why that was number one on your list of the principles and why we're so bad at it. So there is an order to them. The first thing you have to do is create the clarity. Then you, as a leader, have to generate energy. And then that leads into deliver success, right? And you can do them in any order, but there is an initial strategy there. And it is hard to create clarity. And for example, there is so much information now and increasingly so in the digital age that whether you're a frontline team leader or a senior organizational leader, the ability to synthesize the complex is very important. So we say to people, first, your job is to synthesize the complex, but then number two is ensure shared understanding. And again, that has to translate globally. And what we find is people think if they communicate once, everybody gets it and they're just fine and are going to be on their way. And how many times do we see a team completely off track two weeks later? And they're like, no, this is what you told us to do. And the leader is like, no, I was really clear. I wanted you to do this. And so this ensured shared understanding is key and it's something you have to do all the time. Yeah. And it's clarity, but it's also trust too that someone is leading you down the right path and not <laughs> setting you up to fail. That's true. <laughs> so there's these global companies and then there's Microsoft. I mean, so you are this recognized brand virtually in every corner of the planet. How do you begin to bring humanity to a workforce that's so big and so spread globally? This is what we were talking about today with our conversation at Work Human, which is as we sought to not only transform the organization, transform our culture, and actually transform the people we all work with. One of the basic principles that we started with is to put people or humans in the center. And it's really important to the new Microsoft, because if you think about it, in years past, Bill was our technology CEO, Steve was our business CEO, and Satya is our people CEO. And another reminder, we've only had three CEOs in 40 years. Amazing. And so the thinking about Who do we as humans want to be? And if you look at our mission statement and empower people and organizations on the planet to achieve more, it's not about us winning. It's about helping everyone else win. But it is truly right in our mission statement. It's all about people. I love it. I love everything that you guys are doing. I follow Kathleen Hogan a lot on LinkedIn. And I love the transformation, just seeing from what I thought of the company, let's say, 10 years ago or five years ago to the heart that you guys are now showing in everything that you do. I champion it. The transformation's been glorious and fun to watch and a a big learning process for, I think, probably all of us. Oh, yeah. I mean, you are a global tech giant, but you don't treat people like you're a global tech giant. You care about people now, which is great. That's great to hear. (laughs) When you talk about leadership and where I'm going with this is leadership development, And another big challenge that a large organization such as yours has to deal with, I believe the definition of leadership is someone responsible for making more leaders. Mm -hmm. So talk about how Microsoft develops its leaders and encourages them and empowers them and 
positions them to be successful and grow and develop and become you know, the big future leaders. So under the generate energy principle, one of the practices is to build organizations that are stronger tomorrow than today. And so there's very few things we're asking our leaders to do. Remember, it's not everything leaders need to do. It's the most important things. And building those organizations and those teams so that they can go on and continue the success and build people behind them is absolutely critical. And we did something, there's a number of things with Satya coming on board that was great. We took every single, our corporate vice presidents and above in the company, it's about 220 people, through a leadership development training. That had not happened in 20 years. Oh, wow. Wow. And they all showed up. You know, our technical fellows were there, the SLT were there. We did a number of these briefings. And one of the statements we made in there is, you know, folks, it probably isn't the deal that you're going to get signed. It's probably not the product that you're going to build and deliver. It is most likely the people that you turned into the leaders that are then going to run the company next that you're going to be the most proud of. And it's just all part of this idea of putting people at the center. I love it. Talk about how you handle failure within Microsoft. I mean, we talk a lot about that. And the cliche that we talk about when we're talking about the principle is don't be afraid of failure. It's how you learn. It's how you grow. But a lot of organizations still treat that as a punitive thing and you shouldn't fail. How do you guys deal with that idea and how do you encourage experimentation and innovation and trying things? How do you all do that? I'll start with, we adopted the practice of hackathons and we now have global hackathons and we have what we refer to as one week that happens in July where there are literally thousands of hackathons going on across the company globally. And one of the big learnings out of the hackathons is the more diverse the members of the hackathon team are, generally the better the hackathon, hackathon solution that comes out. So it's just, you know, immediate A-B testing on does diversity of teams work or not. So that's been funny to watch and, and really useful. I would say that fear of failure is one of the areas we have a lot more work to do. So people do a lot of experimentation, but it's those big innovation swings that we want people to take or going out on a limb for a customer and making sure the right things happen. That is where we have more work to do. And it is the old cliche of, you know, fail fast, you know, learn and pick yourself up. Mm -hmm. And I think we are very humble about how we needed to change. And we had a lot of failures. I think Gary Hamill did a nice job of explaining all of our failures yesterday. (laughs) But you got to have a little bit of grit and pick yourself back up. And the neuroscience around failure and having a growth mindset is just key to this. And so that's part of the approach we're taking is like, look, folks, there's fixed mindset and open mindset, and both are important. And that's what Carol will tell you. So she says, I'm not saying you never use fixed mindset. There's a time and a place for that. Mm -hmm. But with this growth mindset, it's like, all right, we tried, we completely screwed it up. And we, you know, we have some very public examples of that. We had a bot that you may recall that got trained to say very horrible things. (laughs) That team felt terrible. They created a monster. They created a monster. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and instead of beating them up and dinging them on rewards, it was quite the opposite. We said, well, what did you learn? And would you tell the company about it? And that's kind of the way we're trying to approach this is, you know, you can punish, but that really doesn't get you the behaviors you want. You want to have people just be driven towards what are the right behaviors and how do we learn when we do screw things up? Because we will. Great. I got one final question for you. What does working human mean to you? So I ended the talk that I gave a little while ago with this idea that I don't think this modern workplace is really a place anymore. I think it's going to be a change in mindset. And so as we think about working humans, it's how organizations and the people within the organizations are going to have to adopt this idea of supporting creativity of growth 
of helping people find their personal purpose and helping them align that to the organizations that they work with. And as we start to do all of that, it will, in my opinion, start to allow people to bring their full authentic self to work. Change in mindset. I would agree with that 100%. But ooh, humans just don't like change. We don't like it. Any counsel you can share on encouraging those listening to not fear change and to, in fact, embrace it as this is how you grow and how you move forward? Yeah, I think there's some of us that are a bit like change junkies. And so <laughs> we like it. And it is hard for people. And I think having empathy understanding that people are at different positions. You can use the old model of, you know, where are they on the change curve? But as we get clearer about inclusion and how social pain and physical pain register the same in the brain from the neuroscience, being more careful with how we help people learn and grow through the change is key. And then I think a bit of it is like, look, there's so much out there and you generally find that the other side of the change, you're in a better position anyway. And so it's giving examples of where you took a big risk, it worked out, and it's a much better place than you were before. Or if it didn't work out, you're still okay. You're still alive, still <laughs> moving forward. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe, it's been great spending a few minutes with you. We're about out of time. Before I let you go, should anyone need to connect with you or learn more about your work, where do they go? You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's probably one of the best ways to do that. And then, you know, we're pretty open with sharing our story. And it's not that we feel we've cracked the code on how to do Oregon culture transformation. We just are sharing our story in hopes that it is helpful to other people. All right. Joe Whittinghill, Change Junkie and Corporate Vice President <laughs> of Talent Learning and Insights for Microsoft. Joe, it was a great pleasure to have you. Thanks again for stopping by and joining us. Thanks, guys. It was great. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at WorkHuman March 18th through the 21st in Nashville. Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019.